do not try to make everything perfect. It is okay to get started like one baby step at a time. Welcome to Office Hours by Business Class from American Express. Each episode features innovative entrepreneurs and experts discussing how to navigate today's business challenges. That was Diana Gantz, co-founder of Suit Shop, on building the pieces of your business, even if they feel imperfect at first. For Gans and her co-founder, there was a clear gap in the market for a flexible, reliable way to find formal wear and receive it quickly. In this Office Hours episode, Gans and Jenny Robertson, the SVP of Integrated Marketing and Communications at FedEx, spoke with author and entrepreneur Sunil Gupta about how FedEx and Suit Shop collaborate to help the brand prioritize customers during the busiest shipping seasons and scale the business sustainably. Please note, the views expressed here belong to the guests interviewed and do not necessarily reflect those of American Express. Hey there. Hello. I'm very excited because this is going to be a very special episode of Office Hours. We have two people joining us, so it's a little bit different. Um, but I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation because we have Diana Gantz, who is the co-founder of Suit Shop, and we have Jenny Robertson, who is the vi Senior Vice President of Integrated Marketing and Communications at FedEx. Um, and we are, and the reason that this is like really timely is because we are in the holiday season and shipping and delivering and deliveries are on everybody's mind right now. And we're gonna talk about sort of like, especially as small business owners, uh, talk about all the things that we've sort of been going through, supply chain issues, uh, figuring out forecasting, all the stuff that uh, I think are on a lot of people's minds. And we're gonna do it in a really interesting way because we're gonna do it through the story of Suit Shop and how Suit Shop got started and how it scaled with the help of FedEx. So there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. Um, and here's how I thought we'd start. Diana, um, for those of us who aren't familiar with Suit Shop, can you tell us a little bit more about the company? Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of this and I'm honored to be here with FedEx. But yeah, Suit Shop is, is mainly a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand. Um, I started it about seven years ago with my best friend. And um, we carry a line, we're the only brand to carry a collection of suiting for men, women, non-binary individuals that's, that's coordinated, that matches, um, all at about a $200 price point. Um, we also carry one of the largest size ranges of any brand, so we're able to fit like all shapes and sizes. And um, we, we started this because my best friend, Jean, my co-founder, had a tough uh, time with a tuxedo rental for her wedding day back in 20. 13 and thought, gosh, why does this exist? Why does, um, why do people rent tuxedos when they could buy that garment for about the same price? And looking into it, we realized that, you know, that's just not the, that was just not the reality. Um, retail in America, especially has kind of made people believe that like, if you want to wear a tuxedo, especially you have to spend 500 to a thousand dollars to purchase one or you spend 200 to 250 to rent. And Jean has a fashion design background, so she knew that we could create a collection of suiting and tuxedos that could be purchased for that price. So we launched it and um, it has been just the, an absolute success. We do have some brick and mortar showrooms now, but mainly, you know, we wanna be able to bring a great suit fit to people who can order from their home. Yeah, wow. Um, and, and you know, Diana, when you were when you first came up with the idea, 
um, I think like, was it, was it, was there an event that took place where you kind of realized like, oh my gosh, this needs to happen? Yeah, well, that was Jean's wedding. <laughs> so she and I have been best friends since third grade. I was in that wedding as a bridesmaid. And, you know, the guys were, you know, you're young, you're in your 20s, early 30s when you're getting married, usually for the first time. And like, um, you, you know, you should look really sharp in a tux. And that wasn't the case for her wedding. Some guys were randomly swapping jackets. Uh, the girls, like we had such an experience getting our bridesmaids dresses. Uh, we had so many options, so many price points. And Jean was the one returning everything the day after her own wedding and realized, and like, first of all, her brothers like handed her this wad of clothes and we're like, here, take this back. And she's like, I cannot take this back. You are going to have to buy this. Like, they will not accept this. And sure enough, she, as a bride, taking her the stuff back the day after her wedding, they said, yep, just put it over there. And then she realized each of the guys spent about 250 bucks on something that, you know, didn't really fit well, didn't, um, didn't look great. They didn't get to keep it. And then the logistics were really bad because she, as a bride, was returning everything. And so that was the aha moment that she had um in 2013 and it took her you know until about 2015 and then you know i joined in in early 2016 to help launch the idea on a kickstarter campaign together but i had just graduated from business school and so i was very starry-eyed like yes we can do this and for me it was like oh my gosh this is the gap in the market that we need to to fix like this is what you look for are these like opportunities to kind of revolutionize an antiquated process or industry and for us we were like it's the suiting the tuxedo rental that is it yeah oh, i want and i want to pull jenny into the conversation soon but i i diana the wedding was in 2013 you ended up joining somewhere around 2015 in those two years were, were you and her sort of trading ideas i mean were you kind of I mean, secretly wanting to get involved, even though you yeah. weren't. Yeah, Jean was work always like had this churning in her mind since her wedding, and it wasn't until she kind of moved to New York in 2015 where she thought, okay, I could probably now I have, I'm closer to some resources, maybe some suppliers that can help us get it off the ground, and she shared it with only a few people, me being, I mean, we have been best friends since, since third grade. So, and I was just fresh out of business school. So she, you know, shared the idea with me and I immediately thought it was just the most fantastic idea. And so she would tinker on it. And then um, it was in 2016 that we like just launched it. And we said, you know, at the time I remember we were like, if we sell 10 suits a day, we will have made it. You know, that's like, we just thought, oh, this is gonna be, some like little business that we can do together and like we're gonna yep. tinker on it and i mean now we're gonna this year we'll push over a thousand orders a day <laughs> it has uh, like become a much bigger thing than we ever imagined that's, that's amazing Je jenny can you like come, come into the conversation and, and you know i want to talk about suit shop but first can you just tell us a little about you and, and sort of your career at fedex Absolutely. And I love hearing the suit shop story because, you know, even though FedEx is this enormous company now, you know, we started very similar, you know, it was where our founders saw this need for, uh, you know, to have documents reliably delivered quickly. And, and his time in the military, he was able to apply to creating this hub and spoke network. And uh, it has just grown exponentially, obviously, since then. And we're about to celebrate our 50th anniversary. But it's uh, something that's so core to who we are at FedEx. And 
And I love hearing stories like Diana's from a suit shop because that's very similar to what we experienced. Um, and then my time at FedEx has, uh, you know, it's been almost similar to those who work in small businesses where you wear a lot of hats. And that's one of the good things around um, working in a, in a company like ours is, uh, you know, I started in the community relations area, wanting to help others, wanting to, to do good through through my work. And then that evolved into media relations and communications. And then, you know, moving to another city to help integrate a, an acquisition we had made at FedEx. And then um, coming back to our headquarters and taking on marketing and comms. So it's really just an opportunity to, uh, you know, to grow and to learn and whatever you're doing. And, and that's what I've always said sought to do in my career here. Um, you know, I always talk about it's not a ladder, it's a playground. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you are climbing that rock wall on the playground. Sometimes you're going to have to slide down into another opportunity. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm on that spinning wheel where you're just hanging on for dear life. Uh, but it's always, you know, my career has always been about looking for fulfillment and, and where can I learn and where can I contribute. And so that's been my journey here. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you, when you talk about ladder versus playground, I think about that for entrepreneurship as well. It is a playground. And, and I know, Diana, you, you probably relate to that. I just want to, for those, for those who are joining us for the first time here on Office Hours, this is a community discussion. So post your comments, your questions. I'm monitoring them right here and we'll bring them into the conversation as well. So, the, you know, we're going we're gonna to sort of treat this as like a, an open and open chat. Um, Jenny, when was the first time that you actually heard about Suit Shop? So we bring together at FedEx, we uh, have a small business grant contest and small business can apply uh, to receive funds from FedEx. And we really look at all of these different um, models and, and business plans. And we, we identify those that we see a lot of promise for and that we feel like could could benefit from um, a stronger connection to FedEx and that we can benefit from them, from learning from them. And so Suit Shop was one of those small businesses that came up through that contest. And we have learned so much from them in the process. We bring together these grant winners on a regular basis to hear from them, to hear their challenges, to see what gaps they need filled so that we can then adjust what we do to support them. And so Suit Shop and Diana and, and her partner were, were part of that. And we've really uh, enjoyed getting to know them. Yeah, yeah so I would even sure. add that like no business is too small to to us uh, apply to that that program. We were only four months in, and it was wow. you know this opportunity that we saw. We were starting to use FedEx for our deliveries, and we were like, this you know makes sense. I remember we made our little video in like the basement of my you know jeans. Um, apartment building at the time and like we had had barely any orders coming through and we we made it through and it's been just this like amazing opportunity but also just put us in this really great community of other small business owners that we can kind of bounce ideas over around with it, yeah jenny and what do you think what do you think it was about diana and her team that really stood out to you it was the way that they had this vision for something that didn't exist today that they knew they had the right experience, knowledge, um, and passion for. And we we just saw that spark and we could tell that this was uh, an idea that was going to take off and that, that, you know, shipping is core to what they do and being able, you know, there's fewer days or a few days that are more important than your wedding day. And you really want to be able to rely on the deliveries. And so we knew that, that their model was, was something that we could really actively be a part of and that they had the right idea and the right um, 
spirit and, and gumption and and positivity to do it. Yeah, and and Diana, you got, you were four months in at this point in time. Did you did you feel like at that at that stage, you had a sense of what was coming, like all the logistical challenges that were coming your way? You know, I Gene and I always you know, we thought, okay, as I mentioned, like if we sell as many seats a day, but as, very early on, we put together projections, you know, I, we, we would say like, we're going to get to a million dollars in sales by then. And like, we really put aggressive um, goals out there and we hit every one of those. Um, so, and, and maybe it's that like starry eyed when you're first starting a business, you are just you are you are running on adrenaline and it's the most thrilling thing ever and so um but i i'm so happy to be able to say that like everything that we said we wanted to do and accomplish we have done that and more um it hasn't been easy for sure that playground is sometimes is like <laughs> downward spiral slide that we take but um we climb right back up Can you tell us about one of the downward spirals downward slides well, you know, early on, customer service is all we had. Um, that was like our, that was what we knew we had to nail. You know, we had no credibility. We're going against huge, massive brands that have dominated the suiting industry forever. But we knew we could give a better experience. And part of that experience was just, was great customer service and getting their orders to them on time and quickly. And, um, I'll never forget in the early days, we had one customer situation where we, the, it was the wedding day and he did not have his pants. Some, like, I forget what it was, like a tailor had messed them up or whatnot, but this customer did not have his pants. We are in Chicago. He is on, on the West Coast in California. And I remember Gene and I, it was 6 a.m. in Chicago, and she and I are on the phone like, oh my gosh, like this is going to make or break us. Like we can't let one customer down. This is, and so we called FedEx and we said, what are our options? And we literally bought a plane ticket for this pair of pants. We got them to this customer by the time he had to be, uh, not, he wasn't the groom, he was a groomsman. So at the end of the aisle, but um, that was one of those moments where we just stuck to like our core philosophy. And yes, we paid a lot of money for it. And probably that meant we didn't pay ourselves that week, <laughs> but it was, it was worth it. It's a, it is a great story to tell. And it really has like, it's been a great example kind of of our ethos going forward of like how we want to treat our customers and, and give them the experience that they you know deserve. Okay, so I, let's talk a little more about that. And Jenny, feel free to chime in here too. But I mean, absolutely, customer service is so important. Um, and, and having sort of like, you know, being able to stand behind that. But the decision that you made was not an obvious one. It doesn't seem to me at least, because you're, you're literally buying a plane ticket for a pair of pants. You're, you're, you're a struggling startup, so you don't have a lot of revenue cash coming in. So you're really sacrificing cash flow. Um, and at some point in time, you have to sort of say, hey, is it, you know, what are the trade-offs and is it worth it? So can, can you go back more into that? Like, how did you decide that you were going to go all out for this one pair of pants? I mean, truly, we were, we were just could not bear the thought of ruining somebody's wedding day. Like, having that bride walk down the aisle and see this groomsman in a different shade of blue, 
was like not an option for us. I think it's what makes us so special as a, like a, we originally started out as like a menswear brand because um, we are two women and we, uh, and we do a lot of weddings. And so we understand the importance of all of that. And so, um, so that was like, that was like just sheer, honestly, fear of letting this bride and couple down that we, um, we made this decision, but I will tell you, it has really set the right example for us going forward. And at the time, word of mouth, like marketing was all we had. And so we knew we had to get, and we still believe this, like we want to give every customer the best experience possible. We know the experience by the other brands and like, and we know how we can do it so much better. And it's also just like an exciting time of life too, where like people should be looking and feeling good and not stressed out about like, Oh my gosh, I just got this. It doesn't fit. Like, and so it's, um, it has, it has ended up that plane ticket that we bought. I think it was like, I don't know, three, $400 for that pair of hands has honestly given us more back in like word of mouth praise yeah. from our customers they share the suit shop love and it has like repaid itself a thousandfold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to just add something to that, that we've found at, at FedEx is um, exactly what Diana's describing is the way you recover from a failure will often build stronger loyalty than if you never made a mistake in the first place. And of course you don't want to make mistakes. You want to, you, you want to always have that 100%, you know, performance level. But when you do, we have seen, you know, when we talk to customers and in studies and surveys that those who had some situation that we then recovered well from, they are more loyal or more likely to recommend us in the future than if, everything had just gone smoothly all the time. So it's so, I mean, just critically important that you're putting the customer first, you're finding those ways when there is a mistake made, you admit it, be transparent, do what you can to make up for it, and, and you'll have a customer for life then. Wow, that's such an important, such an important insight, right? Because we're so afraid of messing up, and yet, you know, and then I've heard these studies before too, you know, those are the, those are the opportunities to sort of build loyalty over time. It, it's really interesting because I, I think, you know, as I talk to more and more small businesses that, that have flourished and I ask them to look back on sort of when did they set their values, right? Mm -hmm. When did they decide what was most important to them? Usually it's not when they actually developed a mission statement, but it was usually a story, right? It was something that happened where they were challenged and they came through that challenge and it was coming through that challenge that sort of set their, set their values in place. They realized that that is, that is who they want to be. And Diana, it sounds like for you, you want to make these special moments really special. You don't want them to fall short in any way. Absolutely. You know, there's also something too that we feel very strongly about in like just the general customer service that we give in that, again, the moments that people wear our suiting, like we want them to feel amazing about themselves. Like it's also some like empowerment of cust like confidence and, and we also don't want them to be worried about the price tag. Like, oh my God, I do look great, but I just spent like my entire month's rent on this outfit. Like that's not who we are. And we, and I think our whole team does such a great job. I mean, still to this day, Jean and I will answer phone calls and answer customer to, I mean, that, that will never end, but we yeah. have always believed like we want a customer to leave their suit shop, suit shop experience, whether it's a phone call or an email, 
almost feeling better about their choice to suit up with us, about feeling better about themselves, being excited about how they're going to look when they're wearing it versus like, you know, stressed out and, and whatnot. That says a lot about like even first impressions with the brand, you know, first impressions with people. People remember how you made them feel about themselves yeah. over like anything else. And so that's really what we try to, you know, create a suit shop. I love that. And, and you know, there was a part of your story I want to go back to, which is that you realize this groomsman does not have the pants that he needs for this wedding. He's in California, you're in Chicago. Now you have to figure out what to do. And the first thing you do is you call FedEx. Like, mm -hmm. what, happens, what happens during that phone call? They talked us through our options. <laughs> and um, and I, we were honestly shocked that this could even happen. We, we know FedEx is like, has always been dynamite on like overnight deliveries, no problem, you know. But the same day, like what, you know, we were thinking, oh my gosh, is there somebody in California that we ship to that we can like, have my sister in LA drive the paint, like steal, you know, like it was just, we were thinking about all these options and, but we're so glad that we made that call. And I think that's the one thing that we've always really appreciated about our relationship with that, with FedEx is that we can always pick up the phone mm -hmm. and can get help on like how to serve our customers. And they are there to like be that support system and talk through options and like, you know, help us change shipping addresses to, Putting a pair, buying a plane ticket for a pair of pants. Like they're there to troubleshoot. Yeah. And Jenny, how has that changed over time? And you've been with the company for over 15 years. And like, and you also mentioned that FedEx was a startup itself. But as it's scaled and it's gotten bigger, has it been more challenging to, to serve the needs of small businesses as opposed to just big, big clients? Yeah. You know, I'll, also talking about the culture and the values that you were uh, discussing earlier as well, you know, how those kind of form who you are. When we started, we were, you know, our, our tagline was absolutely positively. And that was what we valued was that, uh, you know, we were built around the fast movement of high value goods, documents, et cetera, that were important. Um, and then the market changed and we had to adjust and, you know, e-commerce grew. And we've all seen the explosion of e-commerce over the last a uh, couple of years and small businesses, if they wanted to survive the pandemic, they were going to have to also build out their website and have a good e-commerce solution. And we also had to shift to be able to support that and to be able to adapt uh, and, and help small businesses build out an e-commerce uh, supply chain and to build out a system and a network that they can then serve their customers when the market changed and when the environment changed. And so, you know, the, that it was a challenge, but it was one that, you know, we always look at any time we have a challenge, whether it's weather or, uh, you know, a, a geopolitical conflict in another country. There, there's something every day that we are, uh, that we have to overcome. And so we just apply those same principles to, all right, now the market's shifting. We're going to, you know, e-commerce is where all the growth is. And we can't forget our core, though, you know, the, the absolutely positively spirit of, uh, you know, got to get it there overnight to, Sometimes we have to partner with customers to figure out other solutions. Uh, and it's just all about adaptability. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking about adaptability, Jenny, you brought up, brought up sort of how we roll with punches and how we deal with challenges. A bunch of questions came in about that. And I want to talk a little bit about the human side of that. Like, Diana, I'm going to pull you in here. When you're in that moment where you're like, all right, I've got to get these pants across the country, right? And and you feel at that moment as a small business owner, like your reputation is, 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 mm. is dependent on this. How did you handle the stress of that moment? 
Well, that's where having a great co-founder comes into play because we frequently talk each other off a ledge. Um, and, and so it's a great sounding board for sure to be like, okay, we, here are our options. Like we're going to make this choice together. I think, you know, a lot of brands probably would have just told this customer, like, sorry, maybe go to a local department store and find a match. Um, that was just not something we could even bear to do. And so I think we felt really good about the choice once we made it. And once we found out there was an option and we kind of like swallowed the cost of it, we were like, no, this is like the best thing we can do. And gosh, the customer was so appreciative. And, um, and it just, again, it's been this like one of the, one of the many though milestone moments for us as a brand on like how to, you know, how we make decisions. And what's important. And, and Jenny, I mean, I have to imagine that in your work, you come across a lot of founders of, of startups, small business owners um, that are going through the high pressure that we know it takes to get a business off the ground. Like, what, what have you learned about how to deal with, with intense moments? Yeah, you know, we are constantly planning and putting in place contingency plans for contingency plans. And so we work with um, small business because we've seen it because of the scope and scale that we have we have seen it all and so we can take what we've learned from one and help apply it to another but it's also just really you know for our own business um, putting those plans in place doing drills doing you know uh, mock situation uh, you know uh, scenarios where we go through what could possibly happen and how would we handle it and what would we do and then when the time comes you're ready for it you have that plan you can um, I don't know, the sign behind me says head up never let them see you sweat that's one of my personal <laughs> mottos um, and it's just you know you've got to have that that uh, being ready when the time comes and it comes through all that preparation and thinking through every potential scenario there could be yeah we have um, some questions that are coming about leadership and and uh, because we both of you are our leaders and you have sort of grown as leaders and you know and, and the question is the question is pretty broad but you can take it in whatever direction you want to go and Jenny maybe we start with you but really advice to people who are looking to step up as a leader themselves and especially for women so you know i would say first of all being open to risk and taking risks and i think uh you know to your point about especially women i think sometimes women are, are more risk averse and want everything to be safe and secure but you've got to be willing to step out there to say yes to a new opportunity uh to be open to new ideas uh and 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 then don't look back you know, you've got to make that educated guess, that take that risk, that calculated risk, and then go for it with everything you've got. And, uh, you know, so many times throughout my career, there was an opportunity that, that presented itself. And I would, if I thought too hard about it, I might uh, not have done it. But mm -hmm. if you just say yes to the opportunity, see where it takes you, view everything as a learning experience, uh, then, then you can just continue growing in your career and in your own personal development. Hmm. Yeah, there's a quote that I love, but I think it goes something like, if, it, if it's good, it's wonderful. If it's bad, it's experience. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Diana, what, what, what your, what's your take on, on all this? Um, leadership for me is, is really just about passion and bringing people up with you and, and, and along with you and really building them up to kind of do a job 
that I that I couldn't do. Like they could do a better job than me, and I feel that way about every person on our team. Everything that they do, they do a better job than me at pretty much every point these days. And I have to ask all the time, like, how are we doing this again? Um, <laughs> but and and I think like really empowering people to be the experts in what they're doing and lo and loving what they're doing because they'll be they become the best brand advocates um, for suit shop and they have drank the Kool-Aid just as much as Jean and I have been kind of drunk on it for seven years. So <laughs> um, that's really like how I, I love to lead with like passion and bringing people up and, and helping them really be experts. Well, the other thing I hear in what you're saying is curiosity. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're asking the questions and that's, and that's sometimes a, I guess, can be hard when you are the co-founder when you are the leader to sort of still be asking the questions because oftentimes we get to these points of you know where we're leading others and we don't want to let on that we don't know now, how, how do you how do you think about that absolutely i mean all the time gene and i and like to our team we'll we'll get down a path and we'll be like why are we doing this again like remind like what was the point of this like are we just is this like an is this like a kind of a nothing burger? Do we do we kind of get lost and do we need to abandon this or like you know let's regroup like remind us why you know sometimes we're we're working on certain projects or simply asking our team like what do you think is the best way to do this because you are in it every day you're you know doing our you're leading our fulfillment you're leading group sales your customer service like you know better than we do at this point what you know could be a better change so it's really nice i agree with that completely i think that asking questions i used to be just like you said Sunil, like you're, you're afraid to ask a question because it looks like you don't have a good command of the the topic but I've found that those who are the subject matter experts, they appreciate being asked about what they know and they want to share and they want to teach and, and they are glad that you're curious. And so, uh, you know, that helped me get over being afraid to, to look stupid by asking a question. Um, and then I've also found that asking questions is a good way to help um, coach or lead a, a team member to figure something out, uh, you know, just by asking the right questions. Sometimes you may know, okay, this is this is where we need to go, or this is the right decision. But it doesn't help if you help them grow if you just say, "Here's what we need to do." But you ask those right questions to help them kind of come along and then figure it out and learn uh, and learn on their own. Yeah. About you, but I sometimes just love being told, like, "What do we need to do?" <laughs> like by my team, like you know, tell me. We'll do it. Like I have, you know, so it's really nice when people can come to the table and like have the plan. Looking for new ways to keep up with the latest business trends and insights? Business Class from American Express is an educational resource to help today's business leaders adapt to the current economic environment. To view compelling stories, timely tips, and inspiring insights from industry experts, leaders, and street-savvy entrepreneurs, visit mx.co forward slash business class in some ways is different than than we might have been taught like diana i know you went to business school and, and you know I, I think that sometimes there's the model out there like you need to come into a room and basically have complete clarity on what it is you want everybody to do and tell them what that is and what i'm hearing from both of you is maybe a different model mm -hmm. which is kind of going in with curiosity of like hey here's the problem what do we all think yep you, it's amazing some of the, if you just put it out there for others to talk about or contribute to, some of the ideas that, that will spool up. Yeah. 
I, I want to go back because more questions are coming in about sort of leadership and, and I know we touched on it briefly. I want to come back to it, but you know, we actually ran a poll. I don't know if you know this and we, we had asked, we'd asked sort of what, what do people want to talk about today? And, and there were all sorts of answers around, you know, supply chain and we'll get into that too. But one other thing that, that sort of came up was expanding the roles that women play in business. Like, how do we just, how do we do a better job with this? And, and I wonder like for both of you, if you could kind of reflect on like what changes need to happen in order for us to promote this? Yeah, I'll, I'll start by just saying listening to women and, and to really, you know, just your team members in general, but um, talking to them directly, hearing from, you know, high performing, up and coming, uh, you know, women in your organization, hearing from them, what are their challenges? What do we need to be doing differently and actually acting on it and not just um, listening, but, but hearing what they have to say um, and building networks are so important because um, the learning you can get, uh, but sometimes you have to have that structure in place to help someone reach out to somebody else. And so having, you know, we've got um, different types of internal uh, employee resource teams where it brings women together and brings different generations together as well. And you have that built in connect um, opportunity to connect with others within yeah. the company. And that really helps. Have you found that to be more difficult when with things spread out? Yeah, is it, is it more is it more challenging to build that type of network in a in a in a virtual world? It's actually been almost easier in a virtual world because huh. you can just quickly with the you know touch of a button be face to face with another person uh, versus having to schedule a coffee and find time and then it gets rescheduled and you know there's traffic getting there. Um, you know we've found that some of these virtual opportunities have made it easier in a lot of ways, but it doesn't uh, replace that in-person connection as well. It's, it's important to have both. Yeah, I mean, cause, I mean, we all hear about sort of loneliness and, and how, like how prevalent it is now, like, you know, in our work lives, in our, in our personal lives, because in, in a lot of ways we, we've sort of, we, we've lost, I think, sort of this, this space where we would physically sort of gather for a lot of us we have. Um, and so, you know, what advice might you have for somebody who is trying to crack through that operating almost purely in a virtual world, but still mm -hmm. wants to have that connectivity and that face to face time? Like, how do we how do we break through that? Oh, well, I'll, I'll take I'll take that for an answer. I mean, I think for businesses that aren't showing clear pathways for women um, to succeed and be in, and operate in high levels, they will lose out because we will find, we will go somewhere else. You know, I, um, I look forward to the day that we actually don't have to have these conversations about like building networks and like, and show, I mean, I, those are all so important right now, but like, let's just make it like, uh, let's just make it the status quo so that there are equal number of like men, women, you know, in leading roles and companies are, you know, kind of fully integrated and, and diverse across the board. Um, so that like, we don't have to feel like we're building these special channels. But I will say like, if to anyone who's feeling like I don't see a path for myself and where I'm at, there are other, there are great or companies out there, plenty of great companies that have embraced this look there because for you to expect for you to like leave your career in the hands of somebody above you to like create a path for you. That is not how it works. You have to create the path for yourself. Your potential is limitless. You just need to be in the right environment. 
I have to tell you, I'm so encouraged by this next generation coming up. Um, just a little story about my own daughter, who's 11. She broke her arm recently. I took her to the ER, and the doctor came in. And, and after he left, she said, huh, I didn't know men could be doctors. And I, I looked at her, and then I thought for a minute, I thought, okay, her pediatrician, her dentist, her orthodontist, they're all women. <laughs> and and I loved it. I was like, I have hope for the future. You know, like, when I was a child, it would have been the complete opposite. Um, you know. And so I was like, you know what? It's This that. isn't even, for the next generation, there's no question. It's, it's uh, and I just love that, and it gives me hope for the future. I love that. I'm gonna tell my 10-year-old that story when she comes back from school today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that the other thing that people really wanted to talk about today was supply chain issues, right? Just and and something both of you are very very familiar with. And of course, coming out of the pandemic, it's still something that that's on people's minds. And and one of the goals that I think everybody has is like, how do we make our supply chains more resilient, right? So when things don't go right, we can't predict it. Like we're not we're not completely thrown off our game. And, and Jenny, I wonder if you might be able to chime in there. Yeah, you know, we've seen this, obviously, over the last two years, the importance of making supply chains more resilient. You know, two years ago, 2020, this month, uh, you know, December peak season um, was, we called it the ship-a-thon because all of a sudden everybody was shipping and we had this massive influx of volume and um, and we had to quickly adapt and quickly adjust. Then last year we had all the supply chain snarls. 2021 was, um, you know, this this glut of inventory that had been building up because nothing was moving from China. It, you know, there, there was the the ships and everything that everyone was aware of from last year um, showed us then how you have to be able to, again, adjust and pivot and um, move things forward, plan earlier. But some of the, the actions you can take are, you know, around uh, diversifying your suppliers is something we've learned over the last two years. If you've, if you've got everything dependent in one location and that location shuts down, you know, you're, you're dead on arrival. So you've got to make sure you've got the, the network of a diversified base of suppliers. Um, and then also the way that all these new innovations are new. And I don't even know if it's, if they're innovation, so to speak, but just the new ways of doing business that people came up with, uh, you know, who did curbside pickups or porch drop-offs and businesses, small businesses had to quickly adapt and adjust um, to this new environment. And that has made them more resilient now uh, to face new challenges as they come up. So we've really just been, had a front row seat to it over the last couple of years about the importance of a resilient supply chain, of having a plan in place and, um, and making sure that you're ready for those unexpected moments. Yeah, yeah. And Diana, how do you stay on top of like what's out there, what your options are as an entrepreneur when it comes to supply chain? Yeah, so we're always kind of in product, you know, development mode, and we work very closely with our manufacturing partners. We have, you know, we're very lucky to have, they're part of our team, essentially. Um, and so we never just, we never try to become complacent at all. We're always trying, our, you know, we don't, we don't carry, I mean, we now carry, I guess, a huge catalog of things. But when we started, we carried a suit in four different colors. That was it. And we continue to try to like iterate on that suit and make it better and make it better and 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 f figure out how we could, you know, produce it more sustainably. Like we've added recycled water bottles in our, all of our suiting now is like made of 12, you know, recycled water bottles. It's got mm -hmm. 
feels comfortable. So we're kind of always in, we never like sit back and coast. And so, you know, throughout that kind of like process of just making the product better, we also figure out how to supply and, and manufacture it in, in a better way as well. I'll also add to, you know, what Jenny said too, she nailed all the points. One thing too, that we found really helpful with supply chain is just trying to figure out where you can build flexibility at every single point along the supply chain. So like, you know, with our, our manufacturing team, like where can we build any flexibility about like pushing off orders or pushing off shipping, you know, flexibility in shipping times. Can we split orders? Oh my gosh, we need more product right now. Can you put half of that order on a plane and like get it to us sooner um, to like, you know, where it's at the port and like with our fulfillment. And then obviously with FedEx, when we're in really tight timelines, which sometimes happens in delivery, especially gosh, in 2020 where everything was stuck and then as soon as it gets in you have to overnight it like they came through for us big time because that's where the flexibility was was now like it's in our fulfillment center and we can get it to the customer instead of you know a standard shipping time like next day so yeah yeah and so much of this is i mean it's about mindset too having a flexible mindset yes Jen, jenny it seems like that's you know at the root of kind of where fedex comes from is like having different options being flexible, like, like what have you what have you learned about like what it takes to to still be flexible even as a big company? Yeah, I mean that's it's critically important, and that's why you know having um, having the network that that we have really helps because we can flex it and we can say okay if this city over here has a big increase in volume we can redirect resources to it um and having that constant kind of monitoring of of how things are going where do you need to quickly adjust move resources um you know luckily as a large company we are able to do that you would think that it's harder to to be nimble but because we have such a scope and scale of um you know vehicles and and facilities and people when we need to shift we've luckily got those resources to do it to address it but you know small businesses can build that in as well and be ready to to pivot when needed and meet the moment yeah so jenny we have to take you back to sort of the fedex founding story because i remember we talked about this last time we connected but i, I there's so much i didn't know about it i mean it obviously started out as a small baby startup but how did like how did the idea first come up so um, there's kind of a little bit of an infamous story. Our founder, Fred Smith, he, uh, well, he was in the military. He was a Marine, an officer in the Marines and uh, served in Vietnam, saw how the networks worked there, how they got supplies from a hub location out to different locations and how efficient that was. He came back to the States and um, was a student at Yale and actually wrote a business paper about this concept of, of delivery through a hub and spoke network. And um, you know, the legend is that he got a C on the paper, but he went ahead and started the business anyway. He'll tell you, he'll say, I don't really remember what the grade was, but I know I didn't put my best effort into it. So I, I you know, didn't get as good a grade as I could have gotten on it. But he, he then, brought this to life working with some of our you know very first customers like the federal reserve who needed to get documents moved very quickly um but then other you know other uh institutions that had these high value goods he said look i can help you move them overnight through this new network i'm building mm -hmm. and he convinced people to to buy into it and our 
first night, we moved 186 packages uh, around the United States. And, and last night, I think we did you know, almost 20 million packages. So um, it, it, he saw a need that clearly needed to be filled. But um, we, we love to remember those early days and talk about what it takes to um, have that vision, to bring it to life, to focus on what your customers need and to, to deliver on it. Yeah, and why Memphis? Why Memphis, um, yes, it's interesting. So we're, it's in the center of the country. It's fairly temperate from a climate perspective. So when you've got a lot of aircraft, you want to make sure that you've got, uh, you're in a good weather location. And, uh, you know, we found that it, we started with Memphis being the hub for us. And so packages, if you were shipping even, you know, from, let's say, Miami to New York, it would still, it would go to Memphis where it would then be sorted and then to New York versus going direct from, from Miami to New York. And so Memphis was that central location where you could get to it quickly from any point in the United States states um, now we've got hubs all over the world uh, we've got I think seven uh, for our express division in the US um, but it started right there in the center of, of the United States yeah I just I just love those founding stories especially uh, I wrote a paper I got a you know maybe a C on it and then started the company anyway and yeah I, I mean Diana we, we didn't talk much about sort of after you got Suit Shop off the ground or as you were starting to get Suit Shop off the ground and you were starting to tell other people about the idea, how was it received? It's the, the, still the same, the same way it's still received today, which is, oh, I wish I would have known about you two months ago when I got married. <laughs> like, um, it's so funny. We, I, if I had a dollar for every time to me, so, that feels good, right? Because it's like, oh, we have good product market fit. If like people are feeling that way, and they, yeah, you know, some regrets about how they had to get suited up for their wedding without suit shops. So, um, it it just made sense, and people were like, I think what the best compliment was was, oh, that is such a simple, great idea. Like suits for two hundred dollars that that I can keep and they fit well. Like, oh why didn't the, they literally why didn't anyone else think of that and we're like i don't know but we were glad we were the ones so um yeah wow and, and was it a home run when you were pitching investors um so we're we have no institutional like vc investors shockingly they didn't take to like two women trying to start a menswear company <laughs> um but we are very lucky to have handful of angel investors, really amazing angel investors. And I will say the angel investors that we have like totally get it. And, and they're like, and it's so great for them that they did that and get it because we're, you know, making it very worth their while. But we have raised actually very little funding for being the size company that we have. We've done it through the angels and then just really bootstrapping. And I think Gene and I have leveraged every personal asset we have. <laughs> so that's fun times for, for co-founders, co-founder life. But um yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't have, I think a little more capital could have made things a bit easier along the way, but we have figured it out and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, but what, can, can, can you tell us a little more about that experience? I mean, you know, you, ha you have this idea, it makes perfect sense. It, you, you know, you're, you're already seeing signs of product market fit, but venture capitalists aren't taking to it. And, and what was that, what was that like for you in the room? Yeah, I mean, it's super frustrating. It's really like, you know, I think of, fundraising too is almost like job searching where you have to be really vulnerable and you have to put yourself out there and you're like this is our baby you know this this 
and we're subjecting it to a ton of criticism. And they're not just criticizing the idea, they're criticizing us as being able to lead it. And God, it's the worst. And, um, and, you know, so we, we decided to try to, you know, not have to focus on it as much as like, very much at all because we've said we're going to try to figure out how to self-fund and get the angels that we need and then we're going to go and like fortunately we had great sales that helped you know bring revenue into the company and bring cash into the company where we didn't have to rely on fundraising i think when you have to live and die by your next fundraising round you have to reevaluate like your operations and what your spending and like your, you know, how your customer acquisition costs, all that. We didn't have to do that. And so we just decided then we didn't have to make fundraising our full-time job and we could get back to the customer. We could get back to answering the phones, um, building our team and improving the product. Wow. The reason that this is, this reason this is very powerful is, you know, oftentimes entrepreneurs will go into meetings with investors, they'll get a bunch of no's and then they'll say, well, maybe we're, we don't have the right idea because if they don't think it's a good idea, yeah. then maybe it's not. Like, did that ever occur to you I mean, at the time? Was that a tough conversation for oh, you to have? For sure. I mean, coming out of business school, like you're back then, six, seven years ago, your idea was only as good as how much money you could raise. Yeah. So the fact that like I couldn't raise, we couldn't like, we weren't hitting these big wins and you know, you see other e-commerce companies, $10 million a round, you know, you're like, well, like, is there, is this a sign? Like, we're not going to be super successful. And, um, but we never let it bother us because we really believed in what we were doing. And our growth has been maybe a bit more organic than some are, some other e-commerce brands. But I mean, we've grown, been growing over 150% year over year the past couple of years. So like, still pretty great <laughs> and, and sustainable so that we can, you know, we don't want to grow 300% year over year customer service would start to slip, we wouldn't even be able to buy enough inventory to supply that demand. So there has been really, there's been something really nice about our trajectory. It's also let us fail and not have it be so monumental and like learn along the way. I love that. Um, Jenny, you know, or actually I'll ask both of you this. I mean, because this relationship that the two of you built has been very special. And and I, and I, I do want to ask Diana, but Jenny, I want you to chime in here too. Like, Diana, what do you think Suit Shop would have been like had FedEx not been part of the equation? Oh my gosh, dead in the water. <laughs> if we couldn't get our, we don't have this like arbitrary delivery timeline. You know, we're not like, oh, you're going to get it when you're going to get it. No, we have customers that literally are ordering the week of their wedding or, you know, a guest at a wedding and they need it or black tie event and they need it in a couple of days and we have to get it there. And we have, we have, you know, tested other shipping providers and they just, they do not deliver with the guaranteed service that FedEx does. And we, you know, you get what you pay for. And we have so like, it has made all the difference in our business. We can sleep at night. I mean, in the beginning we were trying to save, you know, little money here and there. And like, we would, wouldn't know, like, would the customer ever get their order until we started, sh you know, shipping with FedEx? Like we know those, t those delivery dates are like when it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and Jenny, maybe the opposite question, but the same, the same in some ways, like what do, you know, what do startups like suit shop mean to FedEx? Yeah. First of all, I just want to say, I loved hearing that Diana. That <laughs> 
<laughs> made me feel so good. Because if we can provide that peace of mind and help our customers sleep at night, then we've done our job. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, startup, that, that's, they're so important. I mean, startups are, are, um, uh, the, our bread and butter. I mean, that's, we want to make sure that's where the growth is. First of all, as a company for us, you know, it's the small businesses who are growing, who have those opportunities that we want to be part of in the early stages to help them grow because when they grow, then we grow. And so, I mean, there is a vested interest for us uh, that we can't deny that. Um, but it's, it's because we, we want to see them succeed. And so, doing everything we can to help startups and to use the resources we have to invest in programs and incubators and um, you know mentoring and and networking and building these um, solutions out that bring small businesses and startups together um, helps them and it, and it helps us ultimately yeah and Jenny again you've seen so many so many small businesses come up like for somebody who's thinking about becoming a small business owner thinking about becoming an entrepreneur right now. What's a, what's a piece of advice you might give that person? Yeah, I would say don't give up. Uh, follow your passion. Bring in the right partners. Bring in the right um, network. And, uh, and make sure that, that you are not uh, forgetting what gave you that passion to begin with and what your overall purpose is with what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. And then using that kind of North Star and that, that guiding post to help drive your decisions and to help you bring in the right people, the right resources, but sticking to it and realizing there's going to be bumps, there's going to be no's, you're going to get rejected a few times. Um, but having that, that passion and that vision for what you're trying to achieve uh, is the best advice I could give. I love that. And Diana, last question goes to you. If you had to go back in time and go back to when you first started, yeah, you and your you and your co-founder say we're going to go do this, and you had to go back to that moment where you're not sure if this is going to work. What's one piece of advice that you would give that version of Diana? Oh wow, that's a great question. I think you know, while we were, like I said earlier, weirdly optimistic about this idea, but um, I will say one piece of advice in the early days is do not try to make everything perfect. You know, it is okay to get started like one baby step at a time. And, you know, if like the Instagram post you put out is like not exact, like the image, the asset is not exactly what you want, who cares? Like get it out there you, and just start like building brand visibility for yourself. Um, and we always like, you know, the things that I have like, hemmed and hawed about and w waited and delayed launch because I wanted them to be perfect have really not been like the biggest drivers of the business. There is never one thing that's going to happen that's going to make your business successful. It is like the accumulation of like all the little things that you do every day. And like, it's okay if you do them in a mediocre, like mediocre way all the time. Like I'm like the queen of mediocrity. Like, <laughs> We're just got to get them out and see if they work. And then you can iterate on them and make them better over time. I love that.
I love that. Well, thank thank you to both of you. This is this is uh, going to be our last episode for a little while. We're back in the spring with another episode. But um, thank you so much for closing out the year with us and, and, and all the insights. I know for me personally, I'm going to be reflecting on thinking about life and work, not as a ladder, uh, but a playground. Uh, so thank you for, to both of you for, for imparting me with that. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will be back soon in the spring for another conversation. And I will talk to everybody soon. Thanks again, Diana and Jenny. Thank you. Thank you, Sunny. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Office Hours. You can find other can't-miss conversations and a ton of useful resources for business owners at every stage at amex.co forward slash business class. Wondering how other business leaders are navigating through the current environment? Get your questions answered by joining Office Hours, our live Q&A program where we talk with influential entrepreneurs and business experts about their experiences. Visit amex.co forward slash office hours for more information, including the upcoming schedule.